offering my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series. A very warm good morning to all of you from Prashantinilam. Even as I say warm good morning, it's been raining here since last night. But nevertheless, it's a pleasant weather that is greeting all of us this morning. And it is my pleasure as always to join you from our studios at Prashantinilam. We are in the last part of the 8th chapter. Those of you who have been following us regularly, we go through the Bhagavad Gita series verse by verse, parallelly going through the, the Gita Vahini written by Swami. That's what we try and do and we also use the many other discourses where Swami has spoken about various of these topics as the backdrop of going through the Gita. We are in the last part of the 8th chapter and uh, all things going as planned, we should be able to complete all the verses of the 8th chapter next week and of course as always we'll take up a summary the week thereafter. To give you a short summary of what we covered last time and to set the context for what we're going to go through today, we covered three verses last time, the verse number 20, 21 and 22. But before we came to this part, Krishna was speaking of how all of creation manifests from Brahma and goes back to the unmanifest state at the end of Brahma's day. And we spoke of how the waking and the sleep of Brahma is correlated to the creation coming into manifestation and then going back into the state of unmanifest. And this sleep or deep sleep of Brahma was what was being referred to as avyakta, the unmanifest state. In the 20th verse, Krishna clarifies that this avyakta which is being referred here is not the supreme avyakta which is often spoken of in Vedanta. He says, Paraha tasma tu bhavaha anyaha avyaktaha avyaktat sanatanaha. But distinct from the unmanifested that was being spoken of so far is another unmanifest which is eternal, which is sanatanaha. And then he goes on to say, Yaha sasarveshu bhuteshu nashyatsu na vinashyati. And this one doesn't get destroyed even when all of creation is dissolved at the end of time. In the 21st verse, Krishna says that this avyakta which he spoke of in the previous verse, which is called akshara or immutable, tam ahuhu paramam gatim. That is, also described as the ultimate state, Paramam Gatim. And he further says that this is the state which when attained, there is no return. And that, Tad Dhamam Paramam Mama. That's how he concludes that 21st verse. He says, Tad Dhamma Paramam Mama. That state is my state. We then spoke of the various implications of this word Gati a multi-layered, multi-meaning word from Sanskrit. How this word, with its multiple meanings, also tends to describe the multifaceted nature of the spiritual journey itself. That was a short discussion that we had last week. In the 22nd verse, Krishna says, how this supreme Purusha is attainable through one-pointed devotion. And uh, we had spoken of this, how it connects what Krishna has been telling about, think of me, when your thoughts are of me, when you 
give up this body, you reach me. This is a way by which it is all connected together because in this verse, the 22nd verse, he says, Purushaha sa paraha partha bhaktya labhyastva anyaya. This supreme Purusha, this supreme being is attainable through bhakti and he qualifies that bhakti by saying bhaktyastva ananyaya. The ananya bhakti, one-pointed bhakti is capable of taking you to that supreme being. He then concludes that 22nd verse with a very crisp and beautiful one-line definition of this purusha that he was speaking of. And he says, Yasya antasthani bhutani within whom all beings exist yena sarvam idam tatam by whom all this is pervaded. Yasya antasthani bhutani within whom all beings exist yena sarvam idam tatam and he also pervades all that there is. A very beautiful way of describing that supreme being. We then went on to have a short discussion on how this part of the Bhagavad Gita, especially this verse, is a reference to a very important portion from the Kathopanishad where the various implements or instruments of the spiritual journey is spoken of and how each one is superior to the other. And eventually it comes to this Purusha who is spoken of as being more supreme than the Avyakta. And this portion of the Gita is a reference to that very profound portion from the Kathopanishad. So the general theme of discussion in these past few shlokas has been the journey of no return, right? If I could put it that way. Because we are speaking of two journeys. One journey, there is a return. You come back into this cycle. There is another journey if one embarks on, there is no return to this cycle. In that context, we spoke of the other lokas, the durations, time dilation, the creation cycle, how life on earth itself is a relentless cycle. Krishna also spoke of how one has to leave the body at the time of leaving, how it has to be done. The simplest of all those descriptions is, when you think of me, you reach me. Right? That's the simplest thing that he said. But another important point that he said, the very following shloka is, he said in the sixth shloka of this chapter, he said, Yam yam vapi smaran bhavam tyajatyante kalevaram tam tam yeva eti kaunteya sada tad bhava bhavitaha. O Arjuna, thinking of any entity, whichever it may be, when you give up the body at the end, the person attains that very object that he was thinking of, that very deity that he was thinking of, that very loka that he was thinking of. You can put whatever you know, you're thinking of at this point. Whatever one is thinking of, having been always engrossed in that thought, that is where that person reaches. That is what that person attains. So on one hand, he says, think of me in the last moments you reach me. Or think of whatever you're thinking, whatever you're engrossed with, whatever you've filled your life with. Be sure that that will be your last thought when you bid farewell to this world and that will be your state or that will decide your journey as it were. Then of course we spoke of the various other details about the prana, the chanting of pranava, the breath being stabilized in a certain way and so on. So all of this is a description of the various physical indications of the person whose journey is going to be towards that state of no return or ways by which you can embark on that journey. So these are all descriptions 
which are all surrounding or which are all based on that idea of the journey of no return in this next portion krishna is going to speak of another important aspect or another way by which you can recognize this mahatma right that's the title that he had given the mahatma who is going to embark on this journey there is another way you can recognize such a person but he is going to do it more so as a contrast with a normal person who is embarking on the journey of return versus the person who is embarking on that journey of no return the anavrutam is what he is going to call it so this will be the theme for the rest of the shlokas of this chapter and this is how the chapter itself is going to conclude so we will go to the next verse we will go to the 23rd verse from there krishna starts speaking of another very important aspect of recognizing this person and as we have always seen none of these shlokas are devoid of deep inner significance and one has to even dwell on those and fortunately for us swami is here to guide us into that subtle understanding of these shlokas but for that first we'll listen to the shloka i'll give you a brief meaning of that then we'll discuss in detail what krishna is conveying through these shlokas यत्र काले वृत्ति आवृत्ति योगिन प्रयाता वक्षा भरतर्षभ बेस्ट ऑफ दि भरता डायनेस्टी आई शेल नाउ स्पीक ऑफ दैट टाइम बै डिपार्टिंग एट विच द योगीज अटेन द स्टेट ऑफ नॉन रिटर्न and also of the time by departing at which they attain the state of return so that's the 23rd verse and there you can see krishna is laying out what he is going to speak about he is going to speak about the time of the day the time of the month and the time of the year when it is best to leave the body and even as i say that this cannot be taken literally because this is not an instruction that is meant to be practiced right when krishna speaks of karma yoga when he speaks about karma phala tyaga when he speaks about equanimity when he speaks about doing one's duty all of those are practical instructions that need to be heard and practiced but when krishna says i'm going to tell you the time at which you can die this is not meant for practice there is an inner significance to it and also it can also be seen as a way by which you can recognize a noble life right that is a very important thing unless as we will see if any of you have the boon of ichcha mrityu the ability to choose the moment of death not in the sense of taking one's own life we had a discussion of that a couple of weeks back this is not like that but if you have the boon or the noble ability of ichcha mrityu death by choice like the great bhishmacharya then maybe this shloka applies to you as it is but pretty much we can say that this is not for practice this is not so that we can plan to die at a certain time or during a certain part of the year krishna says in the shloka he says yatra kale in which time tu verily yoginah prayataha when yogis depart yanti they go to anavrittim avrittim cha eva the state of no return 
and even the state of return tam kalam vakshyami i will tell or i will speak about that time bharata rishaba o chief or best among bharatas krishna says i will tell about the time kale he says yatra kale i am going to tell about the time during which a person who is embarking on the journey of no return anavrittim what time such a person departs and the person who is taking the journey of return avrittim what time that person departs i am going to speak about or explain about both these krishna says in this shloka in the following shlokas krishna is going to give the details but before we go into all those details there are a few interesting observations we can make here firstly when krishna said all you have to do is think of me during the last moments we did discuss how there are no cheat codes in this but still when you look only at the statement it appears that it is so simple you know do whatever you want to do with your life but ensure that towards the end you turn to god you start thinking of god and that's it you will go into the sunset thinking of god it seems so simple when krishna says that there is a specific time when such a mahatma departs the world it is to stress on the point that this passing away or this discarding of the physical body is not a random event right it might appear like it's a random event it might appear like it depends on so many other factors around there is a pandemic going on and you know i was not supposed to die suddenly something is happening it things happen very randomly or so it appears but there is a precision to all this and i think that is a hint that krishna is giving by saying i will tell you what exactly is the time when such a person will die another belief relating to the time or a noble day on which dying is very considered very sacred there are some of these traditions in bharatiya culture one such day is the vaikuntha ekadashi right they say that death during the vaikuntha ekadashi is considered as a gateway to vaikuntha itself so it's considered very auspicious if one were to discard the physical body on this day i recall the passing away of a very noble devotee on such a vaikuntha ekadashi day and interestingly that year when he passed away the vaikuntha ekadashi fell on 7th jan exactly on this day maybe about 13 14 years ago the person i'm talking about is mr habu many of our students if any of you are listening to this program know him pretty well habu sir as we he was fondly called was the principal of the high secondary school in prashantinilayam and uh, i think for 9 years or something he served he was pretty much instrumental in setting up the school and the systems as they are being practiced even till today and today if we see the school excelling in academics and all other curricular activities he has a big role to have played the you know laying the foundation for that entire system and before that he was a lecturer of the erstwhile shri satyasai arts and science college in brindavan for i think a decade and even after his retirement he teach history in college and that's how some of us had our interaction with him he was a great patriot a gandhian a brilliant teacher a strict disciplinarian and above all a very great devotee of swami who was such a great inspiration continues to be such a great inspiration to all of our students swami would in fact very fondly say 
Habu is Kabu. Swami would say, Kabu in Kannada means sugar cane. That's how fondly Swami would speak of him. The event I'm referring to was his passing away and it happened, uh, as I said, uh, about 13-14 years ago. He was keeping unwell. He was well past his 80. He was hospitalized in a super specialty hospital. And it looked like it was his last few days. And if I'm not wrong, he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And that year, the Vaikuntha Ikadeshi was on the 7th of January. And a couple of days before, his health started showing improvement. And, uh, you know, some of us were thinking that, you know, it's a Vaikuntha Ikadeshi coming and maybe Swami will choose to take him on that particular day. It's a perfect sign of a noble life that he's led. And two days before that Vaikuntha Ikadeshi day, as things would be, he started showing improvement. His health started improving and then it looked like maybe Swami has other plans. But very miraculously, you know, you can use miraculously even for death when you're in Swami's fold. On that morning, Vaikuntha Gadeshi morning, suddenly his health very quickly deteriorated and right on that day, he passed away. We may be thinking that so-and-so is in the hospital, the doctors are responsible for their life, or some medication did not go the right way, or this organ failed and so he passed away. It may appear that so many of these factors are involved, but it is clearly not so. These are all things that very, very mysteriously and precisely fall in place in the case of such people. And I remember a a very beautiful discourse that Swami delivered on his birthday in the year 2003, where Swami fondly recollected many old-time devotees and spoke of how each of them passed away. Swami spoke about Subama, Swami spoke about Sri Seshigiri Rao, Sri Kamavadani, Mr. Gopal Rao, Professor Kasturi, Pujari, Kishtappa. Swami spoke of all these people and how very peacefully they passed away and how that passing away was a sign of the noble life that they had lived. And being here in Prashantinilam, I can tell you listeners that we've been a witness to many such glorious farewells because many great devotees whom we have seen moving on have moved on in such admirable ways. Talking about Seshigiri Rao, his passing away was quite interesting. The episode actually shows us how when you submit yourself to Swami, He not only takes care of your life, but also chooses your departure or the way you depart. And in that case, even suffering is nothing but a blessing in disguise. I know this is a detour from the Gita Shlokas that we are going through, but I request you to indulge me for a few minutes. The reason is because when we live with the Avatar, some of these philosophies and theories, they are being lived before our eyes in a manner that we can see directly. Pratyaksham, as we've been using that word. It happens right in front of you. You read it in the Bhagavad Gita, you read it in the scriptures, you think, oh, okay, so somebody must be going through that. And when you're living with God incarnate, you see some of these theories being played out in front of you. So when we say, death is in the hands of God, when we say Swami will become the driver of our lives and He will maneuver our lives to the destination, these are all real life incidents that stand as testimony to that grace, to that promise that God gives. So and that is why I wanted to speak a little about this before we carry on with our Bhagavad Gita. Professor Kasturi, 
who's passing away is also a very beautiful story in itself maybe for some other day he writes about seshigiri rao's passing away in uh, satyam shyam sundaram part 2 he says there you know before he starts narrating this episode he writes there in the viveka chudamani shankaracharya refers to the master as ahetuka daya sindhu the ocean of mercy that saves without any reason or context baba is like that he cures some chronic illness by the exercise of his sankalpa his will he allows others to suffer and no one can say why so this is the prelude to that episode of seshigiri rao's passing away and he says some people saw me allows them to suffer some people saw me cures them you cannot say how or why that is so you can only be sure that both cases are cases of his grace and then he goes on to describe shri seshigiri rao's passing away and as most of you might know seshigiri rao garu was the first pujari of swami's mandir what we now refer to as pata mandir he came to swami very early in the mid 1940s after serving swami for close to 14 years it looked like his time had come he had a fall and after that he fell very sick and it looked like he was very quickly his health was deteriorating so professor kasturi goes to visit him and he is absolutely stunned to see seshigiri rao lying on the bed and chanting verses from the vedas that declared the truth of one's true self and he says only great sages probably can recall such profound verses at the time of death because he was lying there seshigiri rao was declaring loudly in in chaste sanskrit he was saying this body is composed of the five elements it is disintegrating into its components and i am being liberated seeing the scene professor kasturi thinks what a great death to recall such profound truths in the last few moments and he thinks now this is going to be a very historical moment and even as he was standing there swami comes there after being informed about mr seshigiri rao's health deteriorating very quickly and seeing swami kasturi thinks wow this is going to be a real grand farewell now even swami has come but then he says what he witnesses is nothing short of an anticlimax swami comes to shri seshigiri rao and starts reprimanding this old devotee who is lying on the bed he says how dare you start on this journey without taking a ticket from me mark those words what beautiful and what powerful words he says how dare you start on this journey without taking a ticket from me swami continues come down and do the work allotted to you i order you come to the prayer hall this very noon and carry on with the aarti as usual these were swami's words professor kasturi writes we were all aghast at this unkindness imagine that poor devotee is lying on the bed and he is not able to go. i mean he thinks that his last moments have come his health is failing him his energies are ebbing out and swami comes and speaks like this but then being the great devotee that he is he accepted swami's orders he followed them sishigiri rao comes down does the aarti as swami had asked him to do and then continues with his duties and then he became quite all right and he continues with his duties as the pujari for the next 6 months and then he falls sick again okay and this time when he falls sick 
he is admitted in the general hospital and this time he is not recalling some vedic mantras or upanishads he is in a very very pathetic state he starts losing his mind he doesn't distinguish between dirt and cleanliness and whoever comes and sees him they felt so very bad for him you know somebody who has served swami for so many years should he be suffering like this in his last moments and the contrast was so obvious you know he had a very a beautiful farewell it looked like which was just there for the taking and swami came and took him away from the you know the last moments such glorious last moments and now he is suffering like this and looks like this is how he is going to end his earthly sojourn shri seshigiri rao's children come to swami and they ask swami that swami can we take him to bangalore and apparently there was a hospital in bangalore where many of seshigiri rao's family were working so he's the children said we'll take him there we would like to serve him we would like to take good care of him and in reply swami said no i will not permit you to take him swami then explained see i could have sent him off 6 months ago only when he fell sick but then he had little karma left and i am letting him finish all that under my supervision and swami said after that be sure that he will leave peacefully and as swami promised after about a month suffering like this his health again mysteriously improved he became very active and for 6 weeks after that he performed all his duties normally and then after 6 weeks he again fell sick this time when he was lying on his bed swami goes to see him and professor kasturi writes that he had the opportunity to be with swami in that visit swami goes to shri seshigiri rao's bed swami asks for a glass of hot milk and then swami feeds this great devotee that milk spoon by spoon spoon by spoon calling him by name and telling him see it is your swami who's here it is your swami who's giving you this milk and so lovingly swami fed him that glass of milk after finished feeding him swami gets up swami walks towards the door and just before leaving swami turns and says now you can go and then walks away and within an hour this great devotee peacefully passed away and professor kasturi brilliantly concludes this episode by writing wonderful words and i should quote this here professor kasturi writes baba knew when he had to come down and when he had to go we can only watch and pray only stand aghast at the wonder and meaningful waywardness of the wind of grace end of quote how beautiful it is we can only watch and pray only stand aghast at the wonder and meaningful waywardness of the wind of grace cannot be put better isn't it really how fortunate we are to be able to witness grace like this i think these episodes are not for us to just listen and marvel about and oh what a great episode what a great experience these are for us to listen and bolster our own faith krishna had said purushah sa parah partha bhaktya labhyah tu ananyaya that supreme being is attainable through one pointed devotion these episodes are reminders of this promise that krishna gave this promise that swami gives each one of us 
the more we listen to these kind of stories the more enthused we must become the more committed we should become in our path of devotion in our path of sadhana right so coming back to our gita i'm not completely forgotten that certainly death and the moment of death is not something that occurs randomly so even literally the time of the year the time of the month of passing away all of these has significance but apart from that there is also a subtle inner meaning to all this and that inner meaning is connected to what krishna spoke about right in the beginning of the chapter itself so we will discuss that also after going through the next shloka where krishna starts describing that path of no return but before that just one more point here krishna refers to both as yogis those that transcend life and death and those that come back and get caught in life and death both of these are being described by krishna as yogis in this shloka so one way of looking at it is krishna is not even speaking of those whom swami referred to as karma bhrashtas who do deplorable actions of harming others and cheating others and so on as swami had said these people start creating their future births even as they perform these wrong acts in some rare cases they are even born into animal forms right we will again speak about it little after the next shloka here krishna is speaking about those that have a certain sense of morality who fall under sakama karma and karma phalatyaga if you recall those four categories we will allude to that shortly after the shloka also so those that krishna spoke earlier in a previous chapter as yoga bhrashtas those who take to the spiritual path and probably don't attain perfection on the path even they are referred to as yogis so krishna is covering all these people under the term yoginah where he speaks of here and as many commentators observe krishna also excludes a few people in this description and who are those for whom there is no journey hereafter we will speak about them also in our description but for that first we will listen to the next shloka where krishna speaks about the journey of anavrittim the journey of no return this is the 24th shloka we'll listen to it i'll give you a brief meaning of that and then we'll discuss in detail agnir jyotirah shuklah षण्मासा उत्तरायण तयाता गच्छन्ती ब्रह्म ब्रह्म विदो जना फायर लाइट डे टाइम दि ब्राइट फॉर्ट नाइट द सिक्स मंथ्स ऑफ दि नॉर्दन सॉलिस्टिस बाय फॉलोइंग दिस पाथ पर्सन्स हु आर नोवर्स ऑफ ब्रह्मन attain brahman when they die so that's the 24th verse first krishna speaks about those yogis that have lived a spiritual life and are ready to journey towards brahman or brahmaloka to be more precise we will come to what how that is different also so before i start speaking about this portion of the gita let me confess that i'm going to be sharing things that i have been able to make out from the various references that i have gone through for this particular portion if there are any mistakes in my explanation those who are more knowledgeable can feel free to correct me but for now 
I have the mic, so you will have to listen to me. You will have to indulge me. I will try to share my understanding based on the various commentaries and descriptions that I've read. Also, I've tried to go through some of Swami's other vahinis too. I'm not giving reference to each one of those vahinis because there are no specific things that I've picked out from there. Just to get a complete idea of what uh, Krishna is speaking about here, I went through. So I'll just present as I understand. If anything is amiss, please forgive me and feel free to point that out. According to the scriptures, there are three pathways after death, death that the jiva can take. They are Devayana, the path of gods, Pitrayana, Devayana and Pitrayana, the path of the Pitrus or ancestors and the pathway of sinners which is sometimes called Adhoyana. The pathway of sinners is not discussed much in this part of the Gita. I think much later Krishna does make references to it. What happens to those who fall in this path? The first two, Devayana and Pitrayana, are discussed in this portion. These two paths are also referred to as Uttarayana, the northward journey, and Dakshinayana, the southward journey. In this shloka, Krishna speaks of the first path, which is called Devayana and Uttarayana. There is another name too, we will come to that, because it is based on what Krishna is saying in this shloka. Now, just to set a context to all of this, let us go back to those four categories of people that Swami spoke about. The lowest are Karma Bhrashtas. They are the ones who take the third pathway which leads to hell right maybe even lower birth maybe as an animal as a being lower than a human birth or to lower lokas the second last that swami spoke about are those that perform sakama karma in the more traditional sense these are people who perform acts prescribed in the scriptures like ritualistic fire sacrifices yagnas yagas other ritualistic worships Rituals connected to various events in lives at the time of birth, at the time of Upanayanam and marriage and death and all of those things are very religiously and rigorously followed. These are sometimes referred to as Sakama Karma. In a more general sense, people who lead moral lives do not harm or cheat others. But whatever they do, be it rituals, worship or good actions, there is a view of enjoying the benefits of their actions. Either they want a good name in society, they want people to be good to them in return, or people who think that I am being good now, I will be blessed with heaven later. So in whatever way you have set yourself a desire for the good acts that you are performing, you fall under this category of Sakama Karma. right? So in a more general sense, all people who lead moral lives who do not harm or cheat others, but yet work with an eye on the benefits, these are referred to as Sakama Karma. These people take to the path which is referred to as Pitrayana. And the category that Swami described as Nishkama Karma, the Karma Yogis, they embark on Devayana. The best category that Swami described is not addressed in these shlokas, those that are described as karma titas. Right? 
you're wondering if some of you have not heard the previous episodes and you're wondering what are these categories in the Gita Vahini in the 17th chapter if I'm not wrong Swami speaks about four categories of people based on the kind of karmas they perform and they are the first category is karma tita second category is nishkama karma third one is sakama karma and the fourth one is karma bhrashtas and I am trying to connect those four categories to these various pathways so there are three pathways the worst pathway the pathway to hell if you want to call it that is connected to the karma bhrashtas the sakama karma category is connected to the pitrayana the nishkama karma is connected to the devayana or the uttarayana and the best category karma titas is what we are talking about Swami says that they are untouched by any karma and when there is no karma there is no consequence of actions performed there is no journey to undertake thereafter and such a person is referred to as a jivan mukta one who is liberated even while alive when the doership is completely sublimated no acts performed will be attached to consequences and even if there are consequences there is no ego for those consequences to get attached we have spoken about all of this when we were talking about karma yoga so swami explains the journey of such a person this portion in the jnana vahini right he doesn't of course say that this is about this particular part of the gita but based on the readings i can say this swami explains the journey of this such a person in jnana vahini and he says the mind is the obstacle that has to be overcome so that one can identify one's true self who can identify one's true identity with the supreme brahman and this destruction of the mind happens in two stages swami says destruction of form rupalaya and destruction of the formless aspect of the mind arupalaya so these are the two stages in which the mind is being sublimated rupalaya the form aspect of the mind the arupalaya the formless aspect of the mind what is this rupalaya swami says the way the mind troubles is by creating forms right like the mirage like seeing a snake where there is a rope the world is unreal but you see it as real so these are all born out of this ability of the mind to project things that are actually non existent so in the first stage in rupalaya all such forms which are projections have to be dismissed so when there is a mirage right the classic example that we always go back to there is a mirage you think there is water but when you are wise the mirage is still there but you know that there is no water there right you see it as it is the mirage continues to exist in front of you but you do not associate the mirage with real water in the same manner a jnani sees the world the world is still present before the jnani the world is still present before this person whom we refer to as a mukta even while alive he performs actions also but he is not for one moment deluded by what is in front of him he sees the mirage but does not get fooled by the mirage he sees the world but does not get fooled into thinking that the world is real and when 
this state is attained where you have reached a state where you are able to dismiss all these forms that the mind creates swami says this understanding or this enlightenment expresses itself as a state of bliss and equilibrium and swami says this is what is referred to as jivan mukti you're still alive the world is still in front of you but your mind does not give credence to any of this right that is what is referred to as jivan mukti then swami says the next stage is the arupalaya where the mind itself is destroyed in the first stage you only destroy the projections of the mind in the next stage the mind itself is destroyed it is said that the mind remains till the prarabdha is exhausted and at the time that the body is discarded the state of videha mukti or liberation after giving up the body is attained so there is no journey for such a soul right when there is jivan mukti when there is liberation and knowledge when alive when the body is discarded the soul very spontaneously gives up even that the subtle aspect of the mind and merges in brahman instantly right so there is no journey in this case and that is why swami had referred in the gita vahini and i made a reference to that a couple of weeks back swami says there are two types of mukti sadhyo mukti and karma mukti right the sadhyo mukti is also referred to as kaivalya and the jivan muktar attains this instantly there is no journey for that person what krishna describes here as the two types of journeys that we're going to speak of in this shloka and the next one i believe is karma mukti or gradual liberation if i have to explain this in very very simplistic terms and i'm i'm sure it is not as simple as this i'm just trying to put it in a way that we can make a sense of it it is like earning a doctorate if you are a scientific prodigy let's say and you come up with some brilliant discovery or an invention a university might come forward and confer a doctorate on you right you contributed immensely to science so they confer a doctorate on you and sometimes we have seen this a very young people who have you know who have not gone through the regular course of education but still getting conferred doctorate as a recognition of their intelligence but there is also a specific way by which you can eventually get a doctorate there is a specific coursework probably there's an interview you have to do research work and then you'll have to write a thesis you have to submit it to a panel and then you'll have to attend a viva and then at the end of it you get the same doctor title right though it's a conferred doctor and it's an earned doctorate you still will have the same dr in front of your name isn't it so these two journeys is the same thing is attained one instantly and the other by following a set procedure the latter is like karma mukti or gradual liberation and the former is sadhyo mukti or kaivalya where there is no journey right you 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 already deserved that title even while alive let's see what krishna says and if we can make sense of it krishna says agnihi fire jyotihi light ahaha day shuklaha the bright fortnight shanmasa uttarayanam the 6 months when the sun travels northward tatra there 
Janaha, the people, Brahmavidaha, knowers of Brahman or those that meditate upon Brahman, Prayataha Gachanti, the departed go, Brahma, to Brahman. Those that have pursued Brahman or the spiritual goal reach Brahman following the path of fire, light, day, the bright fortnight or the waxing phase of the moon, the Uttarayana and so on. Well, before we make sense of this, this again is a very concise reference to what is spoken of in many Upanishads as the journey of the soul towards the ultimate mukti. There are much, much more elaborate descriptions of what Krishna is saying here in just one sentence. So by putting all of this in one sentence, Krishna is in a way giving validity to some of these Upanishads. Right? That's what we've seen through the Bhagavad Gita. That is one thing that Krishna is constantly doing. There are five aspects that Krishna mentioned in that shloka. And of these, three are references to some form or aspect of time. And in the previous shloka, Krishna had said, Yatra Kale, during which time? And that is being referred to here. And Swami also says that these three are direct references to times during which one gives up the body. And what are those times that he referred to? He says, Ahuhu, during the day, Shuklaha, during the bright fortnight, Shanvasa Uttarayanam, during the six months when the sun is moving northward. Swami says in the Gita Vaini that these are direct references to time also. You can make that out from the statement that Swami is making. Swami says, The yogis who practice action without desire for the fruit, Nishkama Karma, pass away in splendor or tejas during the day while there is light, in the bright half of the month and in the six-month period of the northward path of the sun, what is referred to as Uttarayana. So as I said, here it is all reference to time, daytime, bright fortnight and so on and so forth. Another way of looking at it is, each of these natural phenomena are ruled by certain deities. There is a deity for day, there is a deity for Shukla Paksha, there is a deity for Uttarayana. And each of these deities govern a level or plane of existence that is higher than the previous one. And this Devayana or the path towards, path of no return, is an upward journey that passes through all these different levels, which are being governed by different deities. When Krishna had said Yatra Kale, Kale means time, but Kale is also sometimes seen as a reference to a god or a devata, right? Kala also is used in some sense to represent a devata. That's what I believe. In, in fact, even uh, Adi Shankara in his commentary, that's what he suggests. So that's why Swami says in Gita Vaini, just after that statement that I read out, where Swami said, if you die in the morning, if you die during the Shukla Paksha, if you die during the Uttarayana, you reach or you take to the, uh, you know, the Devayana. Just after Swami made that statement, Swami goes on to explain that the first level is the level of Agni. And since Agni is a Devata, that is why the path is called Devayana. 
Agni has another name in the Vedas. Swami says, Archi. And so it is also called Archiradi Marga. So this path has got three names now. It is called Uttarayana. It is called Devayana. It is also called Archiradi Marga. Swami goes on to say, Such yogis emerge from effulgence and travelling through effulgence merge in effulgence itself. They attain Brahman and are not born again. That is why the reference to all aspects of nature that represent brightness, right? In the shloka, all the five elements that Krishna speaks about have a relationship with brightness. Agni, Jyoti, Day, the waxing phase of the moon and the Uttarayana. All of those represent brightness. What is the validity of seeing these names that Krishna is saying as devatas instead of taking the literal meaning as day and night and all of that? If you recall, the chapter started with Arjuna asking about Adhi Yagna and Adhi Daiva. Right? That's how this entire 8th chapter begins. And we had discussed at that point this concept of Adhi Daiva. Just as I have an Atma, which is my true self, and that is referred to as Adhyatma, every natural phenomenon is spoken of as being governed by a deity. And that deity aspect of all these natural phenomenon is referred to as Adi Daiva. And Krishna had clearly stated Purushaha Adi Daivatam. The true Adi Daiva is the Lord Himself, is the Purusha Himself. When we speak of Brahmavid here, those who have learnt or those who have understood or recognized Brahman, what is it that they have recognized? They have recognized that the Brahman, the Lord, is the true self in oneself and in all beings. So the jnani is one who has come to recognize the Supreme Purusha as the only deity behind all deities. Right? That's how this entire chapter begins. So such a person has not aspired the grace or the blessings of any other deity. So he or she does not get stuck in these various levels which are spoken of as being governed by these various deities. Because if you had worship Agni with a certain uh, desire of gaining something, then you have not seen the Purusha behind Agni. The true Adidaiva behind this fire is not the Agni Deva, but the Lord Himself. So you get stuck in a lower level where you have worshipped this deity. If you recall, that was again a reference that Krishna had made in an earlier chapter. If you worship these deities, it is to the deities that you go. So when you are talking about a Brahmavid, the one who has recognized Brahman, he is somebody who has recognized that the Lord alone is the one who is behind all this. So he goes through these various lokas, governed by these various deities, without being distracted or drawn to any of them. The mind stays focused on the Lord, passes through all these levels undistracted and reaching the state of no return. And this is what Krishna has said in the 16th verse itself. He had said, Abrahma Bhuvana Lokaha Punaravrittim Na Arjuna The end of this journey according to the scriptures, is 
Brahmaloka, right? When the Upanishads speak of this journey, it says that you are trying to reach that Brahmaloka. But in that shloka, Krishna had said, right up to the Brahmaloka, staying put in any of the lokas in between is subject to return. Even after reaching Brahmaloka, you may get stuck there. But when the mind is fixed on the Lord and Lord alone, then the person attains Brahman and are not born again. So this path is referred to as Devayana, Uttarayana and also Archiradi Marga. But all this is also symbolic. It also has a subtle meaning and that must not be overlooked. After having spoken of as this literally meaning times during the day, month and year, after having given that hint that there is something more to it, in that same chapter, the 17th chapter of Gita Vaini, Swami goes on to explain and Swami says, I quote, Now you must first understand what is meant by the bright fortnight, Shukla Paksha. It is the half month when the light of the moon increases day by day. But what is the relationship of the light of the moon to a person and their death? The moon is the symbol of the mind of people. Therefore, the bright half of the moon signifies the progress of the mind spiritually in divine discipline and the full moon signifies the fullness of that achievement. Thus, the bright half is the period when spiritual progress is attained. For the body, the visible moon, for the mind, the symbolic moon, the moon deity presiding over the mind. The increasing splendor of the moon due to the increasing realization of one's own divinity is what is meant by the word bright half or shukla paksha. End of quote. Swami clearly states, you must be an aspirant who is on the path of spiritual progress and then your mind is marching towards that full wisdom. So when we say death can come at any time, whenever death catches up, we must ensure that we are in that Shukla Paksha. I think we all go through that back and forth in the spiritual journey, right? Just like how the moon waxes and wanes, we also have those periods of lull and periods of spiritual exuberance. But as we progress on the spiritual journey with effort, we reduce these fluctuations and move towards a state where our life is defined by our sadhana, right? Right now we are three months in spiritual full josh, as we say. In three months we are distracted and again three months we are back on track and again three months we are distracted. This is equated to this Shukla Paksha and Krishna Paksha, the waxing and the waning of the moon. With effort, we should ensure that there is only more and more and more of this Shukla Paksha in the mind. So a true yogi can be described as one where slowly the waxing phase of the mind or the Krishna Paksha of the mind is completely removed. So whenever death comes to such a person, the mind is always caught in the Shukla Paksha. And that is the significance of Krishna saying that such a person passes away during the Shukla Paksha. And that is what Swami very beautifully describes in the Gita Vaini. Then comes a mention of the Uttarayana. Probably I'll quickly finish this and then we can conclude. Interestingly, we are speaking about the Uttarayana. 
next Thursday is Sankranti and probably I think I will uh, I thought I'll finish this portion but I'm really running out of time so we will take this up next time maybe it is Swami's design that we speak of the Uttarayana when the Uttarayana starts because next Thursday the 14th of January is the Sankranti day when Uttarayana truly begins so we'll speak of Uttarayana when Uttarayana begins next week so I'll conclude this episode here dear listeners I most humbly offer this at Swami's lotus feet I thank you all for your very patient listening I know this part of the Gita may be a little complex and I'm trying to fit in a lot of things into the time that is available and I hope uh, there were some takeaways in uh, what we are learning together as part of the Gita series. I'll meet you all next week on that holy day of Sankranti to resume our journey of the Triune Pilgrimage of the Gita series. Till I meet you next week, take care, keep safe, Jai Sairam.